Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This show brings you fresh ingredients, recipes and kitchen wisdom from celebrity chefs and authors and artisans and experts. Plus, I cover wine and libations, health and travel, everything you need to feed your soul. So I hope that you'll tune in every weekend for true culinary exploration. I'm all about delectable dishes, exquisite gastronomic experiences, and then simple cooking as well on the flip side so that you can be a culinary hero with whatever way works best for you. If it's rich or savory or just downright delicious, you will hear about it on this show. Summer is heating up. Well, uh, here in Southern California, we're hoping for sun, but in other parts of the country, we are greatly anticipating the start of summer, right? And I do love the changing of the seasons because I start amping up my recipe collection and my plans for cooking fabulous food. Continue to listen because grand guests grace this show with their best ideas, and I love to share. I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, at the all-new chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. Just about to release a new digital cookbook or an e-cookbook of grand grilling recipes and can't wait to share that with you. I also share my daily dish, oftentimes gluttonous, but uh, shameless nonetheless, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please become a fan and a friend and don't touch your dial uh, because art comes in so many forms. I just happen to love the form that you can eat. If you love to cook or love to eat, well, then this show is for you. And over the past 20 years, I've had the privilege of gab on the radio. If you're new tuning in, Please note that I share a chef's insight at the start of the show, some tip, trick, or method to make you the best cook you know, and follow it with interviews to share insightful culinary information. So let's get this kitchen party started now, shall we? Close your eyes, please, and think of the best hamburger you've ever had. It was in a restaurant, right? Okay, let's fix that, shall we? You want to make the best burgers to grill this summer like a culinary boss? Well, then you're going to need to grind your own beef. You heard me right. You're going to need to grind your own meat, I should say, more generally, because maybe it's a a sirloin burger or an Angus one for that matter, or a blended burger as I call it, because I think a blend of meats is best, but maybe you're making turkey burgers or you want to make a buffalo chicken burger. It's really super simple to grind your own protein and it's very personal. Uh, But if you're looking for that mouth-watering burger, like beef burger that drips down your chin, that burger of excellence at your first First barbecue of the summer? Listen closely. All right, here goes. 
Meathead Goldwyn, whom you've heard on this show, he's a grilling guru. He wrote a soliloquy on the science of hamburgers years ago, and it's a really great read if you should look it up. Now, he and I share a mindset, and that is if you want a top quality burger, you really can't always buy pre-ground beef in a package, right? Depends on where you're buying it from, of course, the butcher, your source, But you can shortcut and ask the butcher, if you'd like a little help, and I'm all for that, to grind for you a specialty blend. Maybe you shop at a gourmet supermarket or you have a neighborhood butcher. Uh, That is certainly acceptable, doable, and welcome. But you can also do it at home pretty easily, in fact. So let me take you back to my most vivid, delectable burger experience. It was at Mineta Tavern in Soho in New York City. We vied for a reservation a month in advance. Uh, My mom is talented at that. I had heard about their Black Label burger. It turned out to be everything I anticipated. You needed two hands and four napkins. And it was the toasted charry, beefy scent that wafted to your nose as it was escorted to your table. And the patty had this mahogany skin and the bun was wet with dark juices and those warm, salty juices flowed over your tongue. Uh, It followed, I mean, my mouth is watering as we speak or as I speak. It followed by a really assertive, deep prime steak flavor. And the top of the bun was buttery and crispy and the condiments amped up the experience, but didn't overpower. So you couldn't really remember them, but it was that brawny beef that stuck in your mind. And the experience ends reluctantly licking the juice off your wrist before it drips down to your elbows, right? Yes. I'm telling you it was that good. So over the years, I have worked to master a better burger at home. And here are the secrets to grinding your way to a better burger. For the best flavor, you know this already. The meat that you use for grinding shouldn't be too lean. Now, I happen to like a combination of chuck and sirloin for burgers, but I always add an additional fat And I like bacon. The key, no matter what kind of blend you opt for, is making sure that the mix has a relatively high fat content. That's where the juiciness and the flavor comes from. So I go 70% meat, 30% fat. You're not eating a burger three times a day, every day, really. I mean, this is definitely in the category of indulgence. And I think it should be because if you're going to throw a brilliant backyard barbecue, well, then you should make a brilliant burger. Now... Brisket, hanger steak, short rib, they all add flavor. And you could be really extravagant and grind some Kobe into a burger. The Mineta Tavern burger uh, grinds dry-aged steak with short rib and brisket. And then supposedly there's a few other secrets or trimmings or, you know, the end of the bacon kind of that they were using in their burger. And by the way, you can go for choice grade beef not the more expensive prime, um, because expensive cuts are dear because they have more fat between the muscles uh, than choice beef. But if you're adding fat, then there's no need to spend more money on prime. Now, the method of grinding your own beef means using the grinder attachment of your electric mixer. You can use your food processor as well, but I ask that you pulse instead of 
blend on the on button so you get better texture. And freezing the meat before helps it hold its shape better, keeps it firm so it goes through the grinder more easily. And I freeze my cubed meat for about 15 minutes before I grind. Now, there's also a safety standpoint there, uh, but more on that. Uh, The best chef's tip that I have, put the blade, the grinding plate, and the grind worm in the freezer along with the meat. Then when you assemble the grinder and you're ready to begin, uh, I'll tell you, all the parts cold makes a difference. And when it comes to forming your burgers, my patties are nothing but meat, salt, pepper on the exterior before cooking. Onion, eggs, breadcrumbs, lovely. That's called meatloaf. Now, there is one exception to the rule, and you know him from Serious Eats. He's the MIT grad. He's um, Kenji Lopez-Alt, of course, the chef and editor of Serious Eats, who has graced the show, who knows a lot about burgers. He has done some fascinating experiments. He adds a little bit of anchovy to the meat before grinding at home, like a half of a filet per burger. And he says that it adds that umami bomb. You could add a dash of fish sauce. You'll never taste it. I have done it. It is delicious, but I'm still going for pure. And my last chef's tip when you form your patties, please, 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 I beg of you, do not pack them too tightly. You want the fat in the meat to ooze throughout the burger for juiciness. So test a few combinations for your signature ground beef mixture, fire up the grill, invite your friends over and show off, right? And do let me know how your grind turns out. You can always email me, jamie at chefjamie.com. P.S. My best burger recipe posted at chefjamie.com. All right, coming up, taco lovers, you should be celebrating because Taco Tuesday is only getting better thanks to my friend Pam Waite, in fact. We're going to talk all about the current controversy going on with Taco Tuesday and the extraordinary growth of everyone's favorite day of the week. Also, we are sitting down to egg rolls and sweet tea later in the hour. What a lovely combination. Wait till you hear about this part memoir, part food journey cookbook. Just beautiful. It's Asian American Southern fusion, and I love the mix. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with, with rather, lots more to chew on right after this. Don't go away. Got excited about the burgers. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Americans eat billions of tacos every year, 4.5 billion to be specific. That's 490,000 miles of tacos. Oh, taco lovers rejoice. In fact, some taco lovers say that you should live like every day is Taco Tuesday. (laughs) And I agree. It's a happy place, isn't it? Let me introduce you to a diehard taco aficionado. Pam Waite is the president of the OC Restaurant Association, serving the restaurant industry, and the founder of TacoTuesday.com. She has years of industry experience. She's renowned for launching OC Restaurant Week back in 2008. It is now the region's most celebrated dining event. 
And she has been celebrated for a very long time for her visionary spirit, for her marketing genius, for her leadership abilities. Pacific Wine and Food Classic, which she too created, was voted one of 10 best food festivals in North America by USA Today. She is a true taco lover who firmly believes in the power of food to connect us all. And I am proud to say she is also my fine friend. And so she's joining us here on the radio with an illuminated perspective on you, the consumer, your love of tacos, the restaurant industry, and a forecast of what's yet to come in the food world. And I'm thrilled. Pam, very glad to have you. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> yes. That was an incredible intro. Yes, and much deserved, actually. Um, because everything you do is the buzz, I want to say. And I, and I credit your marketing genius, but I also very much believe that you have this tremendous loyalty and a dichotomy to both sides. You better the restaurants in the community where you live and beyond. And then you also have a very wonderful interest in the consumer. And we know that because tacotuesday.com is for good. So, and it's national. So everyone listening needs to know about your domain and your goals and intentions to feed the country tacos. I know you're taco <laughs> addicted too. I am taco addicted. <laughs> yes. You know, there's, there's a funny statement that people joke around about saying the Holy Trinity of food, which is tacos, pizza, and hamburgers yes. in America. And they rotate all the time between which one is the favorite and tacos have been in the lead for the past few years. So mm, I'm a good thing. I'm clearly not the only taco. No, <laughs> no, no, you're not. But it's interesting to note that Taco Tuesday, the phrase has been around a lot longer than anybody thinks. Yeah. So, I, you know, there's so much fun history. It's hard to, to track it back. But Gustavo Ariano with the LA Times wrote an article in Thrillist a few years back, and he was able to find the earliest documented advertisement for Taco Tuesday um, in an edition of El Paso Herald Post from October of 1933. Wow. And they were selling three tacos for 15 cents. Oh, my gosh. That's like my mom <laughs> talks about what gum used to cost, right? Or the ice cream she had on a Sunday night was 25 cents, and that was with sprinkles. <laughs> it was a big deal. Okay, so we know it yeah. goes way back, and it's it has definitely uh, proven the test of time, um, but it's grown exponentially as well, and your website is a credit to that most recently. Yeah, it, it's grown incredibly. Um, you know, statistically, 13% of Americans celebrate Taco Tuesday every week, hmm. and when you think about the fact that there are 332 million people in America, that is over 30 million people that are going out for Taco Tuesdays every week. That's, wow. that's a lot of tacos yeah. and that's a lot of people enjoying their lives on Tuesdays. <laughs> and for sure. Tuesdays are otherwise not a, a great day. And in the restaurant world, Mondays and Tuesdays, you know, can be tough days. So Taco Tuesdays really help to get people in, get it get them excited. So from a restaurant standpoint, it can increase their revenue from 22 to 36%, which is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And from a consumer standpoint, 
it breaks up the week and makes it fun to go out with friends or family and go and have tacos and margaritas or tacos and whatever you would like. But it just it brings some fun to a pretty ordinary day. So it has become a really big part of of our our culture and and what Americans do. And actually, not just Americans. Uh, globally, Australia and, and England now have Taco Tuesdays expanding there. I think there's something very inclusive about it as well. Because there is an ethnic component to a taco considered, right, um, you know, in the the Latin world, if you want to speak generically about it, or, um, you know, fabulous food coming from all parts of Mexico and so on. I love the inclusivity of it and the fact that it does bring us all together. And that's what tacotuesday.com is meant to do. Tell us about the website because I do have to ask you, um, Taco Tuesday, the term is in the news and we want to touch on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so tacotuesday.com is, you know, one of our about us things is we're in the business of happiness and tacos. And uh, we're all about just making it easy for taco lovers to find places to go, Mm -hmm. buy them uh, wherever they are, and to just go out and celebrate life and support the restaurants. This is something that really makes life a little more awesome for both sides of things. Um, Taco Tuesday has been in the headlines because there has been some trademark. Uh, conversation going on and it's it's one of those things that would be like trademarking happy hour or Sunday brunch and it's just not something that would be uh, fair to anybody to, to have to miss out on sure so what we do is is make it easy to find the tacos and taco Tuesdays and support your restaurants there are a hundred thousand restaurants in the United States alone that offer taco Tuesdays so there are thousands of them um, to serve tacos to the 30 million people weekly. (laughs) But um, that's that's really what TacoTuesday.com is. It's a simple search engine. You know, whether you're going to go to restaurants or you're going to make tacos at home, um, just bring a little bit of joy to your Tuesdays. Yes. And you highlight the restaurants to make a positive impact. The restaurants do not pay to be featured on the website. You say people before profit, and I love that. But if I was traveling, if I was in Dallas or if I was in Maui or wherever I was, right? Because I know Texas and Hawaii are both big taco states. Um, I know that from doing my homework on tacotuesday.com. Then I would be able to find the best tacos near where I am. And you're ever growing, right? So we're going to find every taco in every state by the time you're done because I know you and you are that persistent. Pam, we need to take a quick break. Please stay with us. When we come back, more tacos for all my friends. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away.
We're back and we're dishing. Pam Waite is here, founder of TacoTuesdays.com. And we're talking everything tacos, margaritas, and more. But I love that you are doing it for the good. And I'm glad that we touched on the trademark conversation because Taco Bell is using their strength in numbers, right? Their massive organization to do good as well, to try to make it tacos for all. Correct. Yeah, yes. they're they're doing they're liberating the term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of those terms that some restaurants have just ignored. Some restaurants don't even know that there is that trademark. Uh, you know, everybody kind of handles it different. But Taco Taco Bell is they have a great campaign to liberate it and and make it free for all. It shouldn't be uh, one restaurant that's allowed to do it. Everybody should be able to celebrate Taco Tuesday. So this campaign is fantastic. It's bringing a ton of awareness to something that people probably didn't realize existed to begin with. There's so much behind the scenes, right? That you often don't know. And and I like that this is newsworthy. I like that there's conversation about it. Um, I think it keeps everybody conscious of their impact on the planet and their community and local restaurateurs. And that's what you and I and everyone listening is all about is, you know, we, we live to eat. So with right. that, and it, yeah. And it brings people together. Everything yes. brings people together. We, we have so many of our best memories in life are usually around a table mm. and, you know, whether that's a holiday dinner or it is just a simple taco Tuesday or a happy hour, Sunday brunch, or however you want to do it. Um, it is, it, it is where we connect with people. It is mm-hmm. how we connect with all of our people over over food. And it's really important. And restaurants have a tough job. You know, it's a stressful business. So the last thing they need is any other stress to try and um, stunt their growth. So so I, I stand with Taco Bell 100%. And um, TacoTuesday.com is always going to be free for the restaurants. It's always going to be free for community members to, to log in and find tacos. It's something that can, it's a resource for restaurants to market mm-hmm. themselves that they don't have to pay for. And it's simple. And being friends with so many restaurateurs, I think that is such a welcomed um, tool that they can have in their toolbox. Oh, for sure. No doubt. Now, with that said, I know you and I know that you do not eat tacos only on Tuesdays. Um, I also know you're a hothead and I mean that in the nicest way possible as in you like it spicy. So if you were to have to name your favorite taco, not place, but rather uh, carne asada versus what, you know, can, can you please describe for us your favorite taco? Like the best you've ever had. Yeah. 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 I didn't think the yeah was coming that quick. Yes. Yes, I can. It is my my go to that I just love. It's a crispy shrimp taco that has a serrano relish. That so it's really spicy. Um, I like the whole mouthfeel of the crispy than the soft. And then it has some aioli and mm. chopped up serranos. And it's a lot. It's a definitely a, a spicy taco, but it is so good. Okay. So I get that. You have like your one go-to. And mm-hmm. I am carnitas. Like if you offer me any taco, I want carnitas. 
Because if you braise something and then fry it, how could it be bad, right? It's got that textural, beautiful tenderness and then the crispiness. And I happen to make what is a spicy avocado sauce. And it has a little serrano in it, but it's not as hot as you would like it. And it's like the perfect complement to cut through the richness of the meat. And then crispy onions are essential to my favorite taco. Must have crispy fried onions. It's so funny to me that, and, and it's fabulous at the same time. Everyone has like their go-to I dream of taco. Right. I mean, Greg has one, right? The trophy husband. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The trophy husband has a favorite taco. Yes. Yes. He, he prefers street tacos, um, but he does something weird to them that I've never understood. And he puts refried beans on them, no matter whether we're at home or at a restaurant, he takes the beans and puts them on. So everybody does. Everybody assembles their tacos their way. There's no wrong way. No. In fact, according to the Mexican government, there's 20,000 variations of tacos. Oh, really? So there's a real, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Aren't you just a wealth of taco statistics? I love it. Okay. Let's talk about something really important, please. Um, okay. I, I very much appreciate your love of tacos, but there are many that call you the margarita whisperer. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to share margarita secrets while I had you at a microphone talking to the whole country. So spill it, woman, please. Yeah. So <laughs> I love uh, a classic margarita. Yes. I like I like all the margaritas. Um, but it's really I'm really kind of a purist with this. I, it has to be fresh lime, but I put a little bit of extra fresh orange juice in it. Oh, that's your so secret. So squeeze oranges, Cointreau, tequila, mm-hmm. uh, no salt, and shake it so it's almost like an orange Julius from a hundred years ago. Frothy. Oh, like frothy. Really frothy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's on it's, ice. Are you on ice? I'm on ice. Yeah. Yes. But again, I don't discriminate. I like all of them, but that go-to classic, it's just pure. It's clean. It's crisp. It's delicious. It's way too easy to drink. Way too, <laughs> way too easy to drink. Uh, you have your, thank you, by the way, I, you've now made me want to pour a margarita tonight. Um, you have your finger on the pulse of the restaurant scene, not just in Southern California, but beyond. And I would love you to share your perspective of the state of restaurants today. I mean, we talked about it a lot during the pandemic, of course, and we know things have gotten better. Um, but with the economy waning, uh, you know, I don't talk politics on this show, but we talk the politics of food. And I think the state of restaurants is an ever important topic to be mindful of. They are our go-to. They are our community, as you said. And we, if we want to enjoy them, have to do our part to keep them alive. And as of right now, and I know the economy, you know, we, we keep on, it, it, it can change and it can change quick. Yes. Thankfully, as of right now, they are, they're doing well. People are, um, people are so busy these days that it, you know, going to a restaurant is, is more popular than ever. You mm-hmm. know, it used to be the average person would dine out once a week. And now the average person in metropolitan areas are dining out two and a half times a week. Mm-hmm. So that's a staggering number, and, and then that's not even including what people have delivered with the third parties. So for, in talking with so many restaurants on a regular basis, some of the challenges that, pe- that they're having really is coming down to staffing 
and food prices. The, the food prices are just astronomical. Yes. And, um, and we see that everywhere, whether we're at a restaurant or a grocery store. Um, and so people are at restaurants, you know, at the end of the day, most of them, they're just, they're families, they're people, and they're, they're trying to figure this out. And, um, and that's definitely a challenge when you're trying to um, manage the cost and manage with less people. Yes. So I would say that is an overwhelming across the board conversation in the restaurant world right now. And the best thing we can do is give business to those places that we love and cherish, whether in our community or mom and pop or a favorite dish or, you know, where you congregate right. or near your office or whatever it is, right? Correct. Yeah. Support, supporting restaurants, you know, every single plate that you have at a restaurant, there's a hundred people behind it mm. from farmers to vinters to, to, you know, you name it, cheesemongers, fishmongers, the list goes on and it goes deep. And, you know, so that from an economic standpoint is incredibly supportive. You always want to support your restaurants. And then, Second to that, you also want to be kind because that server might be managing twice the tables he or hmm. she is used to managing, and it's a little overwhelming. Sure. So um, supporting restaurants is supporting your your economy on a very deep level, and hmm. then, of course, being nice is just the right thing to do. So be nice to the servers, be nice to staff. Yes, please. TacoTuesday.com is the largest taco search engine anywhere on earth. And they will help feed you tacos. So please check it out. There's also some really cool stuff like uh, the ultimate vacation destinations for taco lovers. I mean, who doesn't want to plan a trip around a taco? And I mean that seriously. Um, the best taco spots where you live, a vanilla dessert margarita. I can't wait to make that, by the way, Pam. That looks delicious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's delicious. I tried it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That's called research and development, my friend. R&D, right? You had to do it. Right. We twisted your arm. Um, and and we, we thank you for taste testing it for us. Uh, Pam Waite is the president of the OC Restaurant Association, serving the restaurant industry, the founder of TacoTuesday.com. And there are, oh, so many more tacos to be had. So please do your part. Pam, thank you. Thank you for sharing your passion. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So great to talk with you. Stay tuned. Grab a snack. Come on back. There's lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Food tells a story. It's one of the things I love most about it. And as Natalie King says, food can be the catalyst for accepting diversity. Don't you think? There is an extraordinary backstory to the incredibly genius Natalie King, locally known as the Chinese Southern Belle. She is the creator of an award-winning line of Georgia-grown Asian-inspired sauces that were originally launched at Whole Foods Market and taking the world by storm. She has also earned the title The Sauce Maven, and deservedly so, and she's sharing her secrets 
secrets in her first cookbook entitled Egg Rolls and Sweet Tea just released. She is, as I mentioned, a genius, a graduate of Vassar College. She holds a Master of Public Policy from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. And she writes from her kitchen in her hometown of Smyrna, Georgia. It's where her Southern experiences, having grown up there, meld with her Asian American taste. And it is a beautiful fusion cookbook. It's part memoir, her journey of growing up in the Deep South, and part inspiration to make extraordinary Asian food at home. Uh, And it is truly tasty, make no mistake. It is uh, thrilling for me to have Natalie King live with us. And I'm so glad to have you here, hopefully from your kitchen in Georgia. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much. Ni hao, (laughs) y'all. Does everybody know you say that, ni hao, y'all? You say y'all? Of course. <laughs> a good Southern girl says y'all. I grew up in Smyrna, Georgia. What else are you going to say? <laughs> I know, I know. Tell the backstory, if you would, um, because I suspect that your parents didn't think their Harvard graduate would be uh, celebrating a cookbook release. And I mean that in the most complimentary, kind way possible. I really do. Well, thank you again for having me. I'm just tickled pink to be on your show. <laughs> well, thank you. And I'm very excited to have my coffee table cookbook, Egg Rolls and Sweet Tea, out. Um, as you recognize, I was born and raised in Smyrna, Georgia, where Amazing. I grew up sucking nectar out of honeysuckles, <laughs> you know, spending long summer days out in the backyard uh, making pretend mud pies out of dandelion greens, <laughs> going to camp- county fairs and fishing off the dock of Lake Alatoona. So this cookbook is really an amalgamation of my childhood stories of growing up in the Deep South, my experiences as I came to discover the curiosity and passion for exploring really who we are as Americans through the prism of Asian and Southern family and food traditions. Hmm. And it's really this juxtaposition, this kind of social, cultural mashup, if you will, of the East and the West and the Deep South. I had to learn grit and persevere amidst this, you know, kind of uh, mashup, as I mentioned, of, of inclusion, exclusion, and intersections of what it meant to be Asian and Southern, uh, American and female, and, and all of four foot 11 and strong. <laughs> yes, so, for sure. I feel and, very, um, very lucky to and, be able to have grown up in the South. And I love how you've melded and blended these two cultures, your Asian heritage and your Southern roots, because the recipes are better for it. Do you have memories of your mother rolling summer rolls growing up where she taught you the skills that you're now paying it forward to teach us? I did. I mean, but at the same time, you know, as she was kind of cooking up in a cast iron skillet, right? It wasn't like she had a walk. And, right. You know, it wasn't like we were eating dumplings every weekend. She was a full-time public schools teacher, you know, mm-hmm. one teacher of the year. My father was working full-time as a engineering consultant and entrepreneur, you know, and responsible for kind of creating jobs and opportunities um, for other family members, extended family members to come over and, mm-hmm. and grandparents to be living with us. So um, it wasn't like we were just, always sitting around the table, you know, making dumplings. But we certainly had those moments um, Mm -hmm. where we were able to take a breath and do that. Because my mom loved fishing. So, of course, we would be, 
you know, she'd be kind of cooking up hot Hunan catfish, you mm. know, after she cooked it up, after she caught fresh fish. Love um, it. And so it was that kind of balance between, you know, loving kind of whole foods, like we always ate meat on the bone. Um, we knew it was a luxury. We didn't have a ton of meat because, you know, the South has a lot of fresh vegetables, too. So it's yes. really just what we had from the local markets and from the Winn-Dixie. You've crossed a lot of boundaries that we, you know, have risen above in the style and the way that you cook and what you bring to the table. Um, and, and I love that you are a Renaissance woman and I love that you are bridging the gap between Asian and American food in the South. So, um, I can't wait to cook from egg rolls and sweet tea. The book is written by Natalie King. It's pronounced King, but written K E N G. And she is at the helm of global hearth where you can learn more about her culinary escapades, globalhearth.com. And you can follow on social, of course, because there's so many delicious dishes here. Natalie, thank you. Thank you so much. A it was pleasure. a pleasure. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of informative, entertaining, and delicious conversation. Well, at least I hope that you think so. And I hope that it continues to abound in your radio every weekend when you sit down at the table so that we can dish. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the week. If you know it, you know it's a five ingredient or less recipe for those of us, all of us that are super busy. I was craving pasta one night this past week and I looked for three ingredients that came together splendidly and I'll tell you this was a winner. It's a creamy lemon pasta. Hopefully you have some sort of noodle with a hole, like um, some sort of rigatoni or penne or penne rigate, which has the lines or wedges in it, which I think hold the sauce so beautifully. All you do is cook up the pasta and then to a pot or a separate, you know, large saute pan, you take a log of herbed or even honeyed goat cheese. You add some of the pasta water and you add in the grated lemon zest from one lemon. And when you have this creamy, lovely sauce, you add the hot pasta And I have to tell you, it was brilliant. I'm posting it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I hope you love it. And I hope to see you here next weekend when we have lots more fabulous food guaranteed in your radio. I thank you for listening. Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. And I hope you continue to eat well. (laughs) 